the lead into the message I want to offer you kind of this introduction, I'm going to paraphrase um, a portion of the Old Testament. So this is a rough paraphrase, but <clears throat> there is a man in the Old Testament, his name is Isaiah. Isaiah has a vision, and in this vision, uh, the throne room of God comes down, and he is among, within the throne room of God. And to be in the presence of God, for uh, in Isaiah's case, and as is often the case, it conjures up in Isaiah his realization of his sinfulness, to be before a holy God. And so Isaiah cries out before the Lord. He says, Woe is me, I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and here I am standing before a holy, majestic God. Well, at that moment, a, a, an angelic being that is flying around the throne of God grabs a hot coal out of a censer and comes over to Isaiah and places it on his lips and says, your sins are atoned for, it's okay. And then God says, I, I have a message I want my people to hear. Who will tell them? And, and Isaiah stands up and says, uh, here I am, Lord, send me. What would you want me to say? And this is the message that's given to Isaiah in the sixth chapter. The Lord says to Isaiah, I want you to go among the people and I want you to say this. You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You'll be ever seeing, but never perceiving, because your hearts are hard and calloused. Otherwise, you might hear and understand, and you might see and perceive, and you might turn, and then I would heal you. And Isaiah says, how long do you want me to say this message? And the Lord says, you're going to say this message until the nation of Israel collapses. This is the final message they're going to hear, is that the hardness of their hearts, the callousness of their souls, is making it impossible for my truth to get into them, to reach them, so that they might turn and be healed. And so the Lord says, you're going to say this message until no stone is upon one another, until the tree, the holy tree of my people that I planted, says the Lord, is cut off at the stump. Well, the strange thing is, is if you read the book of Isaiah, Isaiah says a lot of hard things, but he never actually says that message. It's not, that's not the message he carries. What he actually carries is kind of a, a call to repentance. That's a very common theme in the book of Isaiah, is to repent and turn back towards God. The interesting thing is, is that the reality is that's... Is, the way the people respond to Isaiah's call for repentance is the message. So Isaiah calls for repentance, but the people can't hear it. Isaiah makes, makes calls and points to the holiness of God, but the people can't see it because of the callousness of their hearts. And so the statement of God is not really like a cursed indictment upon the people. It's an ironic um, identification of the heart of the people. He's saying, I want to heal them, but they cannot hear me. So go speak and yell among them so that maybe some might be seen. The very next chapter, this is a perfect example, in the very next chapter of Isaiah, Isaiah 7, Isaiah gets up, he goes to speak to King Ahaz, who is the king of the Israelites at the time, of Judah. And Ahaz is in a, in a bit of a pickle. The, the nations have gathered to assault the city. 
and he is with his advisors, and they're, on the, they're up in the battlements trying to kind of devise some strategy. They're nervous and fearful. They're shaking in their boots. They're terrified. They see no way out. They don't understand how they're going to get out of this. Uh, Isaiah shows up and says, Ahaz, I, I have a word from the Lord. And I can almost imagine King Ahaz kind of looking up from the table, you know, maps out and plans, and he looks back and sees Isaiah, and Isaiah says something like this. He says, look, I know that you have a weak spirit, and I know that you're in a difficult time, and I know that there are people that are assaulting the city, and that you're full of fear, but he says, but listen, your God is greater than these nations, and he sent me to tell tell you that God is going to redeem the city, that the city will be saved, not lost, but God will save it with his strong right arm. And he says, and Ahaz, I, God knows that because of your weak faith, he doesn't expect you to believe this simply because I tell you, because this is a big thing to believe, to place all your faith in God when there's people building fortifications outside the walls of your city. And so he, he says to Ahaz, God has given me permission to say to you, ask for any sign that you could possibly imagine and God will do it. He says, Ahaz, it's yours. You can choose a sign from the highest of the heights to the depth, deepest depths. You pick it, Ahaz, just ask, and God will show himself true, and then you will know confidently that he can do this other great thing. And you know what Ahaz says? Ahaz says, Isaiah, we don't have any time for this. We're under attack. Some people are ever hearing but never understanding. They're ever seeing but never perceiving because their hearts are callous. Otherwise, they might hear and understand and they might see and recognize and turn and be saved from their sins. Isaiah turns to King Ahaz and he says, you're done. He says, you just wrote your final chapter. God will take care of you, Ahaz. But as for a sign, God will still provide a sign because he will still rescue his people. And this will be the sign to you, Ahaz, a virgin will be with child, and she will give birth to a son, and they will name him Emmanuel. Will you pray with me? Father, as we turn our attention towards the Gospel of Mark, I pray for ears that may hear, eyes that may see, and a heart that desires to know the deep things of God. Lord, we recognize that there is not a man or woman on earth whose soul has not been under assault, but that you have given us a sign, a sign of salvation, which is that of your Son. Lord, and I pray that the knowledge of that would pierce into our hearts and change us. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Mark chapter 4 is an example of the way that people have a hard time hearing what God has to say. And it arises in this issue called the parable. There's a, there's a conversation about parables. And in fact, this parable in Mark chapter 4 verses 1 to 20 is considered a parable about parables. This is a parable that Jesus gave to explain why he gives parables. 
I would really like to be with Jesus. Just, doesn't that sound neat that he would do that? But there's this, this occasion here where he's, he's teaching among the people, and I'm going to read it in a second, and, and his disciples are going to begin to ask him why, or ask about him, why does he teach and preach in parables? And today we're going to try to answer that question. I want you to imagine or think of Jesus today kind of with the hat of a prophet. He certainly, that's part of who he was. I want you to think of his role as that of a prophet, which is to have the mouth and voice of God. So let's read the first two verses here. Again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. The crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat and he sat in it out on the lake, while all the people were along the shore at the water's edge. He taught them many things by parables. And in his teachings said, and we'll get to what he said here in a second. Jesus taught many things by parables. When he would teach, he would teach in a parabolic way, is, the, is I guess the way you would say that. He would, he would teach using images. Now today, the, one of the questions we're going to be centering on is, is, why does he teach in parables? Or why does it feel sometimes like we're hearing the word of God in, in kind of a sideways route? Why, do, why not just say the truth of God directly? If it really is good news, or if it really is good news, why can't we just say it? Why does it have to be kind of dressed up in a parable? Well, first of all, in case you don't know, let's talk a little bit about what a parable is. This is a very general idea. A parable is a way of teaching by the use of simple imagery. They use simple pictures and illustrations to allow the teaching to occur. But the way the teaching actually happens with a parable is something will be grabbed from everyday life that has a certain undisputed nature about it. Like just as the rain comes down. Well, we all know what that means. We all know rain's going to come down. And we all know the effects of rain. So Jesus might use something like that to illustrate. Right? The wise man builds his house upon the rock. The foolish man builds his house upon the sand. We just intuitively know from the images in our mind the truths naturally extend themselves out. The illustrations carry the truth. And the way that a parable becomes powerful is that God puts the images in the mind, or the parable teacher places the images in the mind, and then the images teach. And they teach in a way to the capacity that you have the ability to hear. So you take these illustrations and you can begin to ask yourself questions about them. So that's kind of what parables do. Parables oftentimes also just kind of corner out or separate a concept, not the whole truth of God. They usually just pull a concept out and work on that concept because they're, by its nature, it's simple. And they almost always require some kind of context or commentary, or you really don't know what the parable is about. So if I just walked up to you and said, just like the rain falls from the sky, that's how it is. Well, you would kind of look at me and go, what do you mean? You're not smart. That's just silly. Right? It needs context. It provides context. And so Jesus provides context or commentary when he gives a parable. He'll say something like, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. That's what he says here later in Mark chapter 4. It's like a mustard seed. 
Well, that's the, that's the preamble. We know that this illustration of a mustard seed is referring to the kingdom of God or kingdom of heaven. Or he'll say something like, you know, the parable of the lost sheep. A shepherd loses a sheep, how he'll go out and even though the 99 are safe, he'll go risk his life to capture the one and bring him back in. And then Jesus finishes it by saying, in the same way, your heavenly father behaves this way. And it's the way he offers commentary. So, so the parables are given, and they can be difficult at times, but they're not given as a way to kind of get around you with the truth. God gives them to you, and he also tries to unlock them with context and commentary. So let's look. Let's look at this parable and kind of observe some of these principles in action. Verse 3. Listen. A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it didn't have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up and the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root, other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants so that they did not bear grain. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew, and produced a crop, multiplying 30, 60, even 100 times. Then Jesus said, he who has ears, let them hear. Now we really don't get much context right now with this parable. It, we're told that Jesus was teaching by the seashore, and then he says this, and this is about the only context we receive is verse 2. It says this, He taught them many things by parables, and in his teaching said. And just the way that that sentence is connected, Mark is talking about the subject of parables. He's saying this is the way Jesus taught. He taught in parables, and in his teaching he said this. And almost as though this is a commentary on the way parables are taught, this is, if you add this or just kind of join this idea with verses 10 to 12, it comes out a lot more. Listen to 10 to 12. When he was alone, that's speaking of Christ, when Christ was alone, the 12 and the others around him asked him about the parables. He told them, The secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to those on the outside, everything is said in parables, so that, and he quotes Isaiah, they may be ever seeing but never perceiving and ever hearing but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. So you can see that the, the, the disciples and the followers of Jesus are asking God, why are you talking in parables? Why do you teach in parables all the time? I imagine if they were, a, as a follower of Christ, they had to be observing that Jesus is teaching by the lake and when he's done teaching, there's people who walk away. Some people walk away interested. Some people walk away going, eh. Some people walk away angry. Right? By this point, the Pharisees have already determined that Jesus needs to die. Some people walk away angry. Some people walk away captivated. Some people can't walk away. They stick around until the evening and they say, you have to explain this stuff to me. Why is it, why did you say that again? Tell me again. And again, I... It's working in me, but I don't understand exactly why did you say that. So there's this kind of whole variance of people. And I imagine if the apostles are thinking to themselves in some way, 
Well, if they could just hear the message clearly, they could respond. Just give the clear message. Jesus, why can't you just say, you're the Messiah who's come to offer forgiveness for all mankind through your death and resurrection. I mean, even they don't understand that at this point because Jesus has been so parabolic about it. And Jesus responds with the explanation of this parable. So, so listen, listen to the explanation. Don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? You see, he's saying this parable explains them. And then he begins to explain himself. So let's walk through this very slowly here. He begins with saying, the farmer sows the word. The farmer sows the word. So in this illustration he gave us, with the farmer sowing the word, or sowing the seeds, Jesus is saying the seeds in this parable are the word of God the truth of God, the revelation of God, the saving teachings of Christ. He's saying the farmer sows those words. He casts them around. Now, does the farmer cast these, the word just in one spot? No, he kind of just broadcasts the seed, doesn't he? He's walking around, and it's landing on the path, and it's landing in the rocky soil. It's landing all over the place. It doesn't matter where exactly it's landing as far as the farmer is concerned. He just wants to make sure that the whole area is covered by seed. And then Jesus says this, some people are like the seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that has, was sown in them. And so Jesus begins to kind of explain the individual places of the soil. And he, he, he starts with this this soil, the hard soil on the path. He says, the word, of, the word of God, the truth of God, which is the seed, never even has the chance to penetrate into the soul of this kind of person. If, 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 if the soil is our soul, he's saying there's a group of people that when they hear the word of God, it cannot even penetrate into them because their hearts are so calloused. They, they can't hear. They can't see because their hearts are callous. And he says the seed just lands smack dab on the top of the soil. It can't get down. And Satan has no trouble coming around, along, causing confusion, brushing away any hope of, of conviction or revelation. There's just no way for the seed to take root as long as the soil is that hard. This is one way Jesus is saying, the problem with my message has nothing to do with the seed and it has nothing to do with the sower. It has everything to do with the soil. They're wondering, Jesus, maybe if you preached a little differently, maybe if you preached a different kind of message, maybe, and Jesus is saying, look, look, the seed can't even take root in some people. It can't even begin to work in some people. It doesn't even break the surface of the earth. Now, I've been wondering. I imagine there might be a hard soil here today. I don't know how to make you identify that. Because if you're hard-hearted, you don't think you're hard-hearted. 
And if you're thinking to yourself, oh my goodness, I'm hard-hearted, well, then you're not. It's like, it's like a, right on, you're not hard-hearted. If you're like, oh, I'm such a hard-hearted person, Lord, heal me. Well, then you're not hard-hearted. This is the best kind of way. If You may be hard-hearted if you're hearing this kinds of stuff and you're thinking in your mind, that's like the evidence of hard-heartedness is whatever. You know, I, I don't know what to say. If, it, if it's just kind of going, dink, and like flying back off into the bozo sphere, that's, you may be hard-hearted, but I don't know how to make you realize that. So uh, this is my prayer. My prayer for you is that God would show up and he would break up your soil. And most times in this life, that is not comfortable. Most times in this life when the Lord shows up to break hard soil, if, he's, if, if, if it's soil that he's going to cast seed on and give it another try and cast seed on another try, eventually in your life something may show up like a big iron plow and it'll turn all the dirt back up again and it'll turn your life upside down so that maybe now, maybe now, you might have ears to hear. And so if you are this person who for your whole life has kind of said, Jesus, it's for, it's for those people I have nothing for the gospel. I'm going to say there will come a time in your life when God turns your life upside down and then maybe then you will let the seed take root. It's my prayer at least. Other seed, others like the seed sown in rocky places, they hear the word and at once rejoice, receive it with joy. But since they have no root, They only last a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. So the first seed never even has a chance to take root. The second seed, the the soil is shallow and it's rocky. So the seed has the ability to get into the earth and it bursts forth in a new life. And if you don't, some of you may know more about seeds than others. Some seeds are activated. And you, you give them the right conditions, and they have all their own energy inside of them, and they burst forth. Immaterial of the nature of the soil, just as long as there's enough reasons to kind of break forth. They break forth, they shoot up, but there's not enough in the soil to hold this plant, keep it alive, or help it grow. And so it shoots up, but because of the rocky, shallow nature of the dirt, it can't survive. This is what I would characterize as people who have kind of an infantile spirituality about them. You have these basic quasi-religious opinions about God that's not really based on Scripture necessarily or it's not really based on deep conviction that applies itself to regular actions in life. It's just kind of the kind of things you say to someone who's sick. Well, just have faith. Just got to have faith whatever that means, or, or God loves you, well, whatever that means, or, oh, God has a plan for your life, well, whatever that means. I mean, does God have the right to have a plan for your life that involves you getting fired? Or losing your home? Is that what we mean when we say God has a plan for your life? No, this kind of basic, surf, barely like surface tension faith just kind of has these these shallow ideas that we could just kind of throw around. And some people never get past that. 
They never get past the elementary, basic teachings of the faith. And they never get to a place where they're asking real questions like, what does God's love for me mean? What are the implications of his love for me? How did he show his love for me? And what is my response to his love for me? Isaiah fell on his knees and said, woe is me, I am undone. For I am a sinner. This kind of faith, I say, it's not really responding to the good news of Christ, it's responding to the hunky-dory news of spirituality. Just kind of general, God wants to bless you. Fair-weather faith. Now, in a way, my heart goes out to this kind of soil, this person, in a way that's different than the hard soil. It's easy to kind of not love the hard soil because there's arrogance there. Christ has called us to be humble and pray and work for that. But over here, there's a more pitiable state. There's, there's a so, it's a soil that, that receives it with joy, just can't ever have any depth or any, any real insight or maturity about the issue. And my question is, so is this soil, is this a weak Christian? Is this somebody who's going to go to heaven but just go to a different level of heaven? Or, or what? Let's let, the, let's let the parable answer that question. Just think in your minds. Why does a farmer sow seed? What's his purpose when he sows seed? He puts the seed in the ground and in a place where the sun can shine and the rain can fall and he puts it in the soil. What's his goal? What's the goal of the farmer? What's the only goal? The only purpose of the farmer when he plants the seed? So that it would bear fruit. Right? It's the harvest. Farmers plant with the harvest in mind. If you can't harvest it, they're not planting it. Or if you, can't, if you, if you plant it and it doesn't harvest, it doesn't count for anything. It's a waste. It's wasted effort. It's wasted labor. It counts for nothing. doesn't matter if it's shot up for a week and then burned away when the sun came out. God harvests fruit. To this crowd, my prayer is this, is that you would, you would be uncomfortable with the simple answers that you would pray that God would dispel the obstacles in your life to allow your faith to actually become something deep, something that you really live, something that can handle the assault of everyday life, the, the, the questions that come and, and the challenges to your faith. If your faith can't stand up to any kinds of questions, it's shallow. It's my prayer that... that that you would say, dear Lord, plow me up and give me deep soil so that I can drive roots down and grow and bear fruit. That would be my prayer. Here's the third situation, the third soil. Still others. Now listen to this, because this has the Hokesson zip code written all over it. Still others, like seeds sown among thorns, hear the word. But the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desire of other things come in and they choke the word, making it unfruitful. 
The worries of this world, well, we certainly know those. The desire, the, the, the deceitfulness of wealth, well, we certainly understand that. And the desires for other things in life. What, the, what Jesus is saying is, is this seed is taking root in a soul where there's other things growing. There's other things being cared for. There's other things that are, are shooting up and, 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 and vining themselves around the soul. And, and the plant, the, the truth of God, is trying to grow amidst that. It's trying to break itself out of that. Now, the earlier example of the shallow soul, it's interesting. Jesus says what defeats that faith is the onslaught of life. Something from the outside, the scorching sun. This soul, what defeats this soul are the things from within you. They're already there. Some of you fertilize your weeds so that they can grow. You have healthy weeds. You call them wildflowers. That's your excuse. They're wildflowers. I have a beautiful soul. It's an English garden. It's weeds. It's weeds. There's one plant that should be growing. Now I have, um, many of you know, my wife and I, or my family were trying to resurrect an old farm that has fallen on hard times. So we've been doing a lot of weeding, epic amounts of weeding. I have pulled weeds with a chainsaw, and I'm not lying to you. When you're taking a chainsaw to weeds, that's like a whole new level. And I'm telling you this because there's a message here for those of you who have been in the church for a while, who say you've been in the faith for a while, and I say say for a reason. It's that at my farm, this is what I discovered. I could walk up and I could see a tree. No kidding, a tree this big. Well, maybe it's 30 years old. It's as tall as, as in this room. You, you could go all the way up. And you look, and you know, since our eye level is almost always right here, you see a tree, you just assume it's a tree. And it was a tree. But when I looked up, what I saw was that the entire canopy of the tree had become home to vines and and invaders, parasites that hung on the tree. And, and we would, we'd start cutting and hacking and pulling and scraping and yanking things down. And, and we could finally get this tree free from all the vines. The tree was almost dead. All it had really been was a, a, a crutch for the vines and the weeds to reach up to the sky and get all, their, all, their, all the sun, and they stole all the sun and all the rain from the tree. And I say this to say that to me, if you're a Christian for a while, chances are your soil will get deeper. And if you're a Christian for a while, chances are your soil will get softer. You will start to soften over time. But I will say, this one has an insidious nature about it. That you can be, you can be in the faith for a long time. You can be a mighty oak tree with, where if they cut you down, they'd say, wow, count the rings on that tree. It has been in church forever. And, and you may have, have been, know all the theology and you may have led ministry and, and you may know, you know the five pastors before this one or, or what's going on. You may have all of this. I'm here to say God, Satan makes big vines to attack big trees. You do not escape the, the, the insidious attack of sin by simply being here for a while. Because when you get to heaven, God's not going to count your rings. He's going to measure your fruit. And some trees, some trees end up warping around their vines. The, the vines they accommodate, and they take weird shapes because they refuse to weed themselves of the vines. 
Finally, others, like seed sown in good soil, hear the word, they accept it, and produce a crop 30, 60, or even 100 times what was sown. They hear and they produce. That's what is the measure of a good crop is. And I, and I want to clear, make this clarification very quickly. I'm not, I'm not pushing on being saved by faith. This is certainly not a sermon on being saved by works. We are saved by faith, but we are judged by our works. You confess your faith in Jesus Christ, and God expects, or you should expect, you should expect that God will work a good crop through your life. I don't know, maybe not a hundredfold. Maybe you're a thirtyfolder. That's okay. Produce. Expect it to produce. And I'm not saying that you kind of roll your sleeves up and say, well, I need to start producing fruit. I'm saying that is a metric for you to identify what kind of soil your life is. What, what actually produces the fruit? Is it the soil? Certainly we can't be that bold to think that we produce the fruitfulness. You need a seed. You need sunshine. You need rain. You need someone to sow the seed. And all we are is the soil in which the seed is planted. So this isn't a kind of thing where you've got to produce enough fruit so that God will see your fruit. This is you've got to believe in Jesus enough that the seed can take root and grow deep roots and burst forth with fruit. That's how it works. We are saved by faith. But God judges our works. I'll close with this. This is the basic truth of this parable. What kind of soil are you? When you hear, when the word of God, the truth of God lands, when it lands, how do you receive it? For some people, everything, everything that Jesus would ever say would sound like a crazy, mysterious parable. Why? Because their hearts are calloused. They hear, but they can't hear. They see, but they can't see. They, 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 they have so much in their life that they refuse to allow change that God can't even begin to allow his truth to take root in them. What kind of soil are you? Jesus was not satisfied to simply cast seed among good soil. Jesus shared the truth of God with all sorts of people, hard people, shallow people, sinful people. He raised up disciples to cast seed everywhere who then raised up a church to cast seed everywhere, right? Cast seed in Jerusalem and in Judea in Samaria to the ends of the world or to every nation, tr- tongue, tribe, and people. We cast seed all over the place because we hope, we hope there's good soil and we also hope that God will work good soil out. That there are people, maybe there's people in your life that they're hard-hearted, there's hard soil. I would say drop seed. Maybe, maybe one day something will break that soil up. The mission of God is not to jam the truth down our neck. It's to bring the truth in a way that might be heard and received with joy.